this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing the 1991 Sylvester Stallone comedy, Oscar. Joining us for discussion will be Rachel Friend from the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. My word for today is expeditious. To be efficient and speedy. Make sure my daughter don't go nowhere, huh? How's she getting there? I've been watching this daughter the whole time. He said Teresa. You got two daughters? Today's the boss's big day. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 85. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your meatball, pizza pie, loving co-host, Colin. I'm super happy to be here to talk about the comedy stylings of... Sylvester Stallone. Once again, he's back. Uh, Colin, tell us what he's doing in Oscar. A gangster attempts to keep the promise he made to his dying father that he would give up his life of crime and go straight. On the day of his deal to make good his promise, a series of screwball events regarding his accountant and his daughter keep the day and the deal from running smoothly. Oscar is directed by John Landis and stars Sylvester Stallone, Peter Reigert, Chaz Palminteri, Travolta in the form of Joey, whoa, Yvonne DiCarlo, Kurtwood Smith, Marissa Tomei, a little appearance by Arlene Sorkin, you have Harry Shear, Mark Metcalf, William Atherton, Tim Curry, Linda Gray, and Kirk Douglas. It's like our most stacked cast I think we've ever had. <laughs> The Ten Commandments didn't have this many famous people in it. Like, down to the nail lady is somebody in this movie. There there are two Oscar award winners and three Oscar nominees in this film. It's incredible. Uh, also incredible is our guest we have today from the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. We have our friend, Rachel Friend. I'm just so happy to be here. No, seriously. That's that's both a re- that, that's both a reaction to being on the show and watching the movie. But yeah. Welcome to the show, finally, Rachel. It's Yay. been a in the making thing. And before we talk about your show, like I want to tell people, Rachel, Rachel's a big help behind the scenes. Called Sigma Cavalcade. She kind of acts as my little quality control person because sometimes I screw up on my edits, and she's right there as like, "Hey, hey, idiot! Um, you did you did this? You repeated a clip, and I'm like, oh crap!" And some of you might have heard them before I fix them, but I'm able to fix them. And she's very much like we had Jeff Chandler a while back. He was a cult cinema cavalcade historian. And she's very much in that uh, club. And I thank her very much for that. My, that oh, and I mean, I'll quality with, control. I'm up there with Chandler. Oh my goodness. You're I, above Chandler. Okay. You hear that, Jeff? You hear that, Good. Jeff? Good. <laughs> you have a podcast. So I guess. Um, <laughs> that automatically puts me a step up. <laughs> so Rachel, tell us about your show, Five-ish Fangirls. 
podcast and people like if they don't understand what five ish refers to you can tell them about that though if you listen to our show and you hear how much we talk about doctor who once in a while there were jokes come up you should probably know but maybe they don't yeah yeah it's it's actually twofold the the name one it's a doctor who reference because doctor who is what brought us together um in the first place is we're all fans of doctor who um, and then also there, when we started, um, there was five of us, uh, but we knew that sometimes not everybody was going to be able to make every episode. So sometimes there were less of us. So we were five ish and actually for a while we have been down to four. One of our co-hosts has taken a, uh, indefinite leave of absence from the, the show. So we, at the moment we are permanently five ish, but we've been podcasting, a little over four years. It was four years in June, and I know by the time you guys release this, we will be recording and beginning ready to release our 200th episode. Wow! Wow! Yep. We nice. somehow managed to find 200 episodes worth of geeky stuff to talk about. <laughs> there you go. Right, because. <laughs> Yeah, because the show has the Doctor Who reference in the name, but it's not just no. Doctor Who stuff. It's right. just like all yeah. pop culture yeah. stuff happening, right? Exactly, exactly. And you hit up, you are, you are a convention rat, and you have some yes. excellent convention coverage. Like a lot of the episodes I'll listen to of your show is your experience at the conventions. And yeah. I enjoy hearing hearing that. I enjoy seeing you at conventions, but then I enjoy hearing the experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try. I do try to get away from you know if it's PopCon and we have the podcast indie table. I do try to wander away every once in a while and go see what's going yeah. on and let you guys. I walk away and five minutes later on Instagram we're in corsets. So you know, mm-hmm. you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Funny, it's like oh, five-ish fangirls, Doctor Who, um, geeky stuff, conventions, pop culture, and you picked. Oscar yes. for uh, the movie yeah. to watch. Why? <laughs> I think we have the same question, Brandon. Why? Why? <laughs> if I would, if I would have said, "Hey, Cullen, we have our next show. We're doing Oscar, and our guest," and he'd have been like, right. "Shut up! It's Aaron Newarth, isn't it?" No. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is a Newarth pick. <laughs> it's it's Rachel. It's like, oh, so. Why Oscar? Okay, so backstory. I have my best friend from high school, which actually you guys met at PopCon Jeanette. She's a oh, she's yeah. super cool. She's uh, we met freshman year of high school, so we've been friends for years. Um, and um, we bonded over a love of performing and dance and other things. And in the process of getting to know each other, we both discovered our love for tim curry actually and she introduced me to this movie because tim curry is in it (laughs) so i had a vhs copy a very crappy vhs copy for the longest time and it's it's just one of those movies that i have was introduced to several years ago and had not returned to it and Till you were like hey you're up and i'm like oh what are the of the movies that would fit your guys's kind of thing this was one of the first ones that i i thought of and i had not watched in a very long time so when i sat down to rewatch it i was like i really hope this is not one of those movies that i have these fond teenage memories of and then watch it several years later and realize what the hell was i thinking <laughs> this is garbage <laughs> no i still love it <laughs> 
Gotcha. I. It's funny. Like you brought Stallone back to the show. Like there's a. We have a. We have many Stallone movies. Like we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this one. And then Oscar was not on that list. Yeah. But we hadn't done Stallone since Rhinestone. And it's funny the two movies we've done of Stallone have both been like attempts at comedy. <laughs> Yeah, we when, you, got, when, yeah when you think highbrow screwball comedy, Sylvester Stallone, you know, he's right up there. Top of the oh, list. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, when you... That comedic wizard known as Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> when, when you can't get John Belushi, when you can't get Danny DeVito, you call Stallone, apparently. Yeah. Bill, because Murray's, those were, Bill Murray's on vacation. Call yeah, apparently <laughs> those were the guys that we're supposed to play this role dating back to like the late seventies. Yeah. It's well, yeah. Cause this was a remake of a French yeah. movie from the sixties. Yep. And it was also a stage play, which is extremely obvious when watching this. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking. There was a scene where um, the accountant like sits down at a piano and I just thought like this had to be a play because it all takes place in one right, yeah, when it, area. When I realized, yeah. I don't think we're going to leave the house, and I kept seeing these set-up rooms that look like, hey, more than one scene's going to happen here because they keep mm-hmm. making good on that. And a lot of the, the acting, too, I'll, I'll get it into deeper when we talk, but some of it works and some of it doesn't translate. I, I feel like a lot of the cast members are on different pages in this movie. <laughs> with how to mm-hmm. present the material. Some of it comes off as very much like, I don't know how to make this not sound like stage stuff, and other people make it kind of work, but yeah. it's a it's a weird... I have a question that doesn't... It doesn't have to do with the content of the movie at all. Why is the poster for this movie a throwback, a take on Harold Lloyd's safety last? Right? That was something I, that bothered me, too. I don't get Like, that's not the era this like, movie is trying to evoke at all. Well, <laughs> and, and also, like, I, I understand that there's this uh, compressed time for uh, Sylvester Stallone's character. Like, oh, a mobster. We got these bankers coming at noon. There's all this crazy stuff happening. I got a limited amount of time uh, to make it look like I'm legitimate so mm-hmm. I can be part of this banking, sit in the board of directors or, or whatever the heck it was. But at the same time, it's like, so what? You've got all of these people in your movie. Put them on the fucking poster. And this is the era where you did the poster, and then at the bottom you had the little pictures of all the cast, like each, like individual like yeah. headshots down at the bottom. Or or just like just have Sylvester Stallone sitting there and just being surrounded by all of these people making his life miserable. Yeah, you need the all shit. You need the oh these idiots posed by Stallone and then lo- looking like happy around him, like in him like, oh my. But safety lat I'm like, this is supposed to be a take on the old screwball comedies. It's like a silent Chaplin-esque film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Harold Lloyd was well, his own you, character. You look, you look at the poster and you almost think, oh, there, you know, there's going to be some like really crazy physical comedy like Harold Lloyd or Buster Keaton mm-hmm. or Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Yes. Or something. Like the most physical things that Stallone does is go up and down the stairs. And lift a bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I looked, you know, just doing research for the movie or on the movie and there are different posters for it. Um, it's not even the worst one. Like the worst one is the one that's like on the cover of the uh, like the DVD, where it's just him straightening his tie. Oh yeah, that was the the VHS. When I remember going to like the rental stores, that was like the big promo posters. Like, oh ho ho! Like what's this? Um, 
Well, it, it's his huge head with him straightening his tie with three people that are not in the movie that much. And you know, it's funny. I was a big Stallone fan back in the day, and this came out. I had, like no interest in it, which is weird. I just like, hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I want to see this. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't because he wasn't yeah. wearing guns or anything. I just kind of, I don't know. It looked like him trying to. Well, it's what it is. Him trying to do something that's out of his range and not what he can pull off, but he thinks he can. Yeah, it evoked that. Yeah. He wasn't even that great as like a Saturday Night Live host. You know, he can't <laughs> he can't be funny for three minutes. So let's put him in a two hour movie. Huh? What do you think, folks? Yeah, when it comes to humor, Stallone is in his own bubble and he's also the only guy telling the joke and the only guy laughing at the joke, pretty much. With Stallone's career, he's always it's weird because he started off as this like, oh, he's the next Brando type guy, but then he became an icon rather than like the next sort of guy or evoking a certain guy. And then, but he wanted to be like these other people, and it's like, no, just be Stallone, dude. You are it. You set, do your thing, branch off, like create the Stallone thing rather than trying to be no. somebody else. Sylvester Stallone is to comedy what Bruce Willis is to the blues. Yep, like just stop it. No one asked for this. <laughs> Knock it off. In ways, this this could be his Hudson Hawk. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's get into Oscar. Uh, it starts in a rainy afternoon in the it's like 1931. Judging by the cars, one parks outside. Angelo snaps provolone, who Stallone's playing. Visits his old dying father, Eduardo, played by Kirk Douglas. I mean, Eduardo. Luigi, Waluigi, I don't know. Papa, <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Gangster, you rob, you steal, you shoot the people. You bring the shame in the family, in the chain. I'm sorry, Papa. What can I do to make peace with you? Oh, now you want to make a peace with you, Papa. You wanted me to die happy. Ah, I'm on my deathbed. Ah! He, whom he, he's told that he just came by a woman. He came just in time. Eduardo, Eduardo wants to tell Snaps a secret, and he leans in and he slugs him. He tells him he's upset. He chose a, the life of a gangster and asks his one last dying wish for him to become an honest man. And Angelo promises him he'll go straight to the surprise of his goons standing around. And then Eduardo. He passes away, yeah, yeah, and so they think. But as as Angelo raises up, Eduardo slaps him once last time. He says, "That's a, so you won't forget." And then we go into the claymation credits with this little guy singing this stereotypical opera Italian opera stuff. It's from the Barber of Seville. That's <laughs> what <Okay>. it is. <laughs> is there? A reason it's in this movie? I never like when like like as soon as this claymation opera singer started, I thought why? I immediately thought why? I thought like oh maybe there'll be something like interesting happening happening like oh there'll be zany stuff going on, a bunch of claymation characters running around and doing zany things. But no, it's just a portly You're just standing singer. there doing just standing there as the credits appear next to him. Hmm. There's no other claymation in the movie, and there's no more singing in the movie. It's the laziest. Why did this happen? It's the laziest use of like the stop motion animations. Like, well, I mean, we got like 20 minutes. We could have like a little guy singing by a stage. All right. 
Well, it's not even, like, lazy, just pointless. Because the animation's just fine. It's just, why is it here? Well, I mean, why is, why, is, why is Christmas Vacation have an animated opening sequence? It's just, I mean, it's an opening sequence. Uh, but zany things happen. Right. So it's That's what I'm saying. This fine. is a, this is lazy. <laughs> Rather than, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, they should have had like a whole stage play of something like evoking what's happening in the movie later on or something or making you think like a preview. Right. But sure. But no, it's just a guy standing with a curtain closed. Yeah, pretty much. Well, according to Wikipedia, because, you know, that's always reliable. Apparently in a particular edition of the film soundtrack, there are liner notes from John Landis. And he said he envisioned a particular kind of score and knew that Elmer Bernstein, who did the film score, would be the one to write it. He said, by using a comic opera approach, I was actually contradicting the musical theory that Elmer and I had inaugurated 14 years ago with the serious score for Animal House. (laughs) Hmm. He was trying to be very smart for a movie that does not need to try to be that smart. (laughs) No. Just just get to your movie. Animal House! Yeah. Or you Um, can just chalk it up to its stereotypical Italian. If you you think of Italian music, people think of opera. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When I think of Italians, I think of claymation. Yeah. As the claymation finishes, we go to one month later, and these hired goons enjoy their morning and prep food in the kitchen. They're they're Angelo's guys, and they talk about the boss's big day with a banking deal. He's going to go straight. And then there's another mob boss, Mr. Vendetti, who's getting information from a snitch-type guy, an informant, uh, tells him Angelo is going in with another mob family like the O'Banions is who Vendetti thinks it is which those, and they were they were a legit mob family the O'Banions oh, mm. yeah yeah from from Chicago they were part of the north side gang that was involved in the St. Valentine's Day massacre in 1929 ah, okay. so the police they're keeping watch on Angela's house led by Lieutenant Toomey played by Kurtwood Smith you and dumbass. they're getting <laughs> Yeah, that would have been great if he would have called anyone dumbass in this movie. He doesn't. Another strike against the film. Spoiler alert, when he breaks in the house uh, later on, he should have been at the table being like, bitches leave. (laughs) Uh, So he's getting info from the same snitch about Angelo joining the Albanian mob. Then Angelo's accountant, Anthony, who they all pronounce... Anthony. Really odd for like half of the half of the movie. Uh, yeah. He shows up, uh, and Aldo, one of the goons from the kitchen, uh, answers the door, gives him a load of crap, trying to not let him bug the boss, but he says it's urgent. And then Angelo comes out of his room, unhappy to be bothered. We we learn he doesn't like being called boss or snaps. He prefer, prefers Mister Provolone. And I just want to make this clear that um, I don't know how often we're going to talk about it, so I'm just going to say it now. Uh, them calling him boss and him not liking it is supposed to be a joke. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't think that works. <laughs> and, and and they just keep doing yeah. it over and over and over yeah. again. Well, well it, here's he, what he, I didn't he laugh. seemingly reinforces their bad behavior though, because he do he does things like snap his fingers when he gives them an order. 
Yeah. So it's it it doesn't work because in some other way this that joke could have worked, but the, it doesn't work because it's they're trying to with the screwball pacing of the dialogue and stuff, and it's too fast. You can't sit and catch him, and he and he he throws it away too fast because the dialogue's going at a rapid pace. So when they do that stuff or anything, you don't notice or care, and it's like. Uh, we're already like eight lines ahead before you catch it. And Stallone, he's not delivering it like it's a joke where, you know, it's like a, where they say, don't call me boss. And he doesn't like whip right back at him and like get like elevate his anger or, you know, play it up any, any kind of comedic seed that's even there. He just, you know, it's like, just don't call me boss. Like that's not, that's not enough. You have to act. Yeah. Let's puke out the lines. Uh, (laughs) True. So Anthony asks for a raise, uh, which fires up Angelo, and he's planning. He tells him he's planning on proposing to his girlfriend, and he wants to provide for her. The raise he wants is a thousand dollars more a month because he's making four hundred. He wants fourteen hundred. Through conversation about why he needs it, he mentions a rival mobster that he's considered paying him that money, and Angelo gets ruffled and agrees to a twelve hundred dollar a month payment to keep. The accountant. He then reveals that it's Angelo's daughter who he's in love with, and then he slams him on a table. And his bodyguard pulls a gun, to which he reprimands him, saying that, "Hey, we're going legit. We can't be packing anymore." Provolone then says, "It is with the greatest humility that I ask to marry your daughter." On a lousy twelve hundred a month, she deserves better. Yes, she deserves a husband who makes fourteen hundred. She'll get one, and it won't be you. His daughter can't marry someone making a lousy $1,200 a month. The accountant reveals he's poached $50,000 from him over the years as well. Snaps asks how, and he then goes to tell him, and the music builds up, and I thought he was going to sing him a song about how he did this. I really did. I was like, yeah. uh, oh. And then he just starts talking. Like, this is this huge musical buildup to silence of just dialogue. It's like, oh, good, more explaining what happened. And so he says... When he started his book, he says when he started his books, uh, they were a mess. And he was able to clear up some stuff and made an and but he made an error. Tried to speak to him about it on Valentine's Day, and that's when he met his daughter. After Angelo seems to calm down, he admits he's been sleeping with his daughter, and then he's also in enra- he gets enraged, so he goes to his daughter Lisa, played by Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei, and Angelo Who looks wants- exactly like Aunt May does now. <laughs> <laughs> vampire <Yeah. laughs> vampire I, we i think we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago after i rewatched it it's like we decided that marissa tomei is part of uh the same coven that like jennifer aniston and a couple and of julia them, louise dreyfus Ju- yeah and like julia roberts are all part of that they just don't age and we've decided that betty white is like the head of the coven <laughs> <laughs> Her first, her first, uh, first mate, James Seymour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy Lawless also was high up in the ranks. Yeah. <laughs> Monica Bellucci runs the uh, the time chapter. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Angelo wants her to meet Bruce Underwood, who he's chosen for her, but she refuses. Uh, their argument goes nowhere, and he leaves. To t- and by the way, Bruce Underwood, the name mentioned so many times in this movie. Seen zero times. <laughs> Not confusing at all, considering there's a thousand people in this cast. There is. He lives her and he goes to talk to a couple of tailors about a suit. One played by Harry Shearer. The other played by the lawyer from Jurassic Park. Yes. <laughs> yes. I forgot to mention at the beginning with the, the, the mobster getting his nails done or whatever, it was Arlene Sorkin. 
had two lines in there and she was she was the nail person there. They share with him a newspaper clipping of a murdered mob boss who was wearing one of their suits to brag about how nice their work looks, which I thought was kind of funny. They're looking no, here. That's nice. actually a good joke. <laughs> like anytime the Taylors are a part of this movie, the like the stuff they do with them actually works. Yeah, <laughs> because they're comedic actors and they know what they're doing. So meanwhile, the uppity bankers discuss their unhappiness with the comp- this compromising deal for them. And then we go back to Angelo's daughter, who is a heart-to-heart with the maid, and she suggests that she fakes that she's pregnant with the kid of her lover, so she'll have to marry him and get out of the house. She then tells this to her dad, who freaks. The goon runs in, uh, by, plays by Chaz Palminteri, his name's Con- Connie, runs in with a gun, and then he ends up having a conversation about you know not packing any ends up doing the thing where he pulls out all his weapons and there's like a ridiculous yeah. amount and there's like a slingshot and then <laughs> a ball hilarious. and chain one. It's classic joke. There's like a shiv and stuff. Like, uh, I'd also like to point out uh, that when we were in uh, high school, uh, we'd make uh, videos. I'm sure we've talked about this in the show before. We did this exact same joke <laughs> in one of our videos. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 like I sat there and I thought like, God, this is the same comedic stylings as (laughs) 15-year-olds. Cool. She says uh, she'll go to the uh, the convent, but he caves and says she has to marry Anthony, and he calls his daughter a tramp during this. They have such a lovingly, during an embrace, during an embrace. He's like, tramp. (laughs) Uh, This is a scene where there were some good jokes, like when Marissa Tomei says, I want to go to an opium den in Chinatown. And like the way she says it, it's just like a, like a child, like, no, no, you know what it is? It is, but I wanted to go to Tashi Station. Yes. Power Converter. That's what it is. That kind of delivery. But she's talking about an opium den. (laughs) That's what power converters are in Tatooine. It's an opium den. (laughs) Right. Tashi Station. Technology. He's like, look, we live in a desert. I need to get high to tolerate it. <laughs> a woman comes to visit Angelo, and she says she's in love with Anthony. And he's like, well, she's, he's taken. And she then says she lied and told him that she's his daughter and fesses her story about how she tricked him. Her name's Teresa. They agree that he won't tell Anthony the truth about this whole thing. And he charges his goons with finding Anthony, who had just left. As he wanders the house, his wife, Sophia, returns home, and she's mad about her new chauffeur and upset that he fired Oscar, the previous chauffeur. Title drop! <laughs> yeah! We're, we're over a half hour into the movie, and we know why it's called Oscar, finally. Sophia goes to comfort their daughter after he tells her the news about her, and she reveals that the person she's in love with was Oscar, the chauffeur. And Anthony shows back up. Anthony introduces himself to Sophia. He's come by as the man who's going to marry her daughter. You must be Mrs. Provolone. What an honor. Sophia, little Anthony, my accountant. And future son-in-law. I've just asked permission to marry your daughter. Lisa? No, dear, not Lisa. The other one. What other one? You know, the other one. The other one that's not Lisa. Why don't you go check on the girls, dear? Angelo says to prove to his wife he's not a gold digger, Anthony, that is, he needs to give his 
daughter the 50k he stole back and anthony tells him he doesn't have it in the bank and that he put it into stones because this is a depression era tale so he didn't trust the banks angelo sends him out to get these stones Angelo then asks his goons in the kitchen where Oscar is, and then he finds out that he joined the military to get away because he feared his love's father-in-law. Because he met, the, they said he met this girl, but his father-in-law was terrible, and he left, joined the military. As he crosses the house, the maid admits that her and Bruce Underwood are in love, and then he fires her, but she quits and instead. And as he gets his new suit fitted on, Sophia begs Angelo to find Oscar. They figure out they need to just find her a husband anyway to raise the ba- help raise the baby. So Sophia suggests Anthony, who she saw earlier. And then we also get a check-in with the cops monitoring all this activity from across the street. Here's a question. Um, did either of you care about any of this as it was happening? <laughs> which stuff? Which, which, which part here? All of it. Just everything you just said. I'm just sitting there like, I don't care. It's just so much like screwball. Like, like screwball comedies are fine. They're great, whatever. But there's just so much like, but you were doing this. And then this was going on. Like, I'm just sitting there like, I don't care. What? What? Why do I give a shit about any of this? It's hampered down by like, like about 12 to 13 subplot setups. Yeah. If they acted more like panicked about stuff or frustrated just to just if they just acted i don't know just something just anything would have been beneficial to to give me the feeling that the stakes are rising just anything at all the closest thing that we get to i don't even want to say close of them like freaking out and like oh my god the stakes are rising is when uh, mercer tomei's character tells them that you know they're pregnant and it was oscar but then it's completely undone by god it's like a split screen of sylvester stallone and his wife in the movie and then when they find out that she's pregnant i don't know if you noticed this or not i did i backed it up just to verify that i wasn't losing my mind inside marissa tomei's room there's all kinds of drawings of like animals and shit and when they find out that it's Oscar and she's pregnant and all that shit, it zooms in on this cartoon mouse, I think, on the wall. And it zooms in and out real quick and it goes, ah, ooh, yeah. like, what? <laughs> what the fuck was that? Why did that? What is that? Like a bored editor. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just got to put anything in this movie to get the attention of the crowd. I don't know. Did, 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 did either of you notice that at all? Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that maybe hurts this movie is the fact that it's rated PG. <laughs> and okay. it's supposed to be family friendly. So if this was, you know, even just PG-13, they could have taken their mm-hmm. re- people's reactions to the different subplots a lot mm-hmm. further. You know, instead of the, one of the guys just pulling the gun, maybe they actually fired it and maybe missed. Do one of those things where it shoots mm-hmm. like near somebody's feet and they do the jumpy thing. More sure. harsh language, maybe. You know, even if it was an Italian or yeah. whatever, but it's, yeah. But I, I feel like they made this movie and it just wound up being PG. Like, I don't, I don't think they set out to make a mm-hmm. PG. I feel like they just... Here you're given a PG. Like yeah. I think that's kind of what happened. Well, well and also if the, they accidentally like shoot a gun or whatever, that also increases the zaniness or just misses or you know 
shoots a hat off someone's head, or you know, by accident with the gun, you know, just any number of things they could have done just to make it, you know, more screwball. Because right now, it's just a fucking mess. It's just, like you said, the 12 subplots that... Yeah. You can't, and it's just so difficult to keep track of them or care about any. Well, of them. and I'll, 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 I'll piggyback off you, Colin. Like I thought, the first fifty minutes of this movie was slowly slouching in my chair, constantly like, "What the?" F-? It was. It's. Yeah. It's. I don't want to say a disaster, but like, I mean, a disaster would have been interesting to watch. But um, right. The, it's just. Oh my. Like, oh, like something work here. Like nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're doing it. It's a thing. But I'm just sitting here like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to make like, how am I going to like it does, quote unquote, pick up after that. But that's 50 yeah. minutes. That's it's 50. It's yeah. not like it has got a shitty first act. It's got like more than half the movie before something picks up and it's just not entertaining. I'm watching people in rooms just talk to I like some of the interesting twists, little turns it takes, but like they go to the cops and I'm like the cops are just like the cutaways of the cops for like the first 50 minutes uninteresting. Why like did we miss a shot of Stallone crossing rooms and we need to put that in there to I don't know. I'm just you have Kurt Ward Smith yeah wasting away for like an hour of this movie um granted he probably shot for like three days but it's Mm -hmm. stallone can't carry this thing he's horribly miscast and well he he probably doesn't think so but like it's just not like i it's tedious like this is i don't know i don't know this is like the worst the first i'm talking the first 50 minutes of this movie not as a whole but the first 50 minutes of this movie which i think we're around getting around to this that point in our Little rundown. It was some of like the worst cult cinema cavalcade watching I've ever had to. Oh no! I was just like, ap- oh, I'm just like, come on, something. Like I'm not even get like the laughs. The biggest laughs or uh, responses to the humor I have is like, oh, that was kind of nice. <laughs> like that was, I'm not like <laughs> yeah, laughing right? aloud. I'm just like. Oh, that was, was kind of clever. I'll remember that one. Like it was. Yeah, like w- when when something that was supposed to be a joke would arrive, I'd go. I'd say, "Good for you." That almost made me laugh. We're getting closer. And I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I, I, I'm sorry for shitting on your heart here, Rachel, for something that, that you've loved for well, I, for years. I, I actually I'm I, actually I, kind of feeling proud actually. Well, what I want to what I want to say is like there, I'll I'll talk more about why I'm so disappointed with this first 50 minutes yeah. later on yeah. when we kind of have They're the picture as a whole yeah. but yeah it's you, you're, it's like putting together a puzzle and you have no idea what the finished picture is going to look like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you just get all these pieces you're like is this is, is this a corner is this what is this <laughs> so. it's it, it's just it's a, a jigsaw puzzle of a of a field and it's two thousand pieces we're like what it's all the same. Yeah. None, of, none of it matters. Yeah. It's Why all sunflowers. <laughs> so yeah. Ugh. So Anthony returns with the with the money to meet Angelo. The bag full of diamonds. Angelo then tells Anthony that Teresa is pregnant. Angelo gets him to draw up a contract guaranteeing his daughter gets the jewels and that Anthony will raise the child. He then reunites Anthony with Teresa. Teresa confesses that. 
Angelo isn't her father and she's not pregnant. Anthony's upset that he's been swindled out of the money, which upsets Teresa, who thinks that he's all about the money and leaves him. Vendetti, the old other mobster, commiserates with his mob, thinking something is up because it's been too quiet for, like, what, an hour? Yeah, right? Yeah! (laughs) Because this is all taking place over the course of a morning. About four hours. from what? what, what, (laughs) Right, right, yeah, it it goes from, what, eight to noon? Yeah, it, it's too quiet. Fuck you. <laughs> Why are you in this movie? I think he means more of the, the past month since Snaps' father has passed. That Snaps okay. is well, and, and, slowly and that trying to go straight and therefore has not been doing any mob activity. So Right. And that would have been great for him to do when he was first introduced if he would have said, hey, it's been a month. It's too quiet. Not he gets a tip from, I don't know, the snitch or whatever. And then, you know, later on, but an hour later, he says, it's too quiet. Because it really does seem like it, within that hour right. that nothing's going on. Like nobody so, shot anybody in the last hour. It's too quiet. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and also, I forgot this character was even in the movie. <laughs> like when he showed up again, I thought, why are you here? He's in like three You've scenes. contributed nothing so far. <laughs> I want to take at least for myself. Let's. I'm going to get away now from anger of frustration to my favorite part of the movie the end no so angelo he goes to pay his tailors but anthony confronts angelo because he's mad about the money and stuff angelo they try to please that he's going straight angelo shows him the tailors and says that they are hired sicilian assassins that will kill on sight and it's the it's harry Shearer and the other guy they're just little skimpy dudes in nice tailor suits that match and they're playing like what are they playing? Like go fish or something on the yeah, thing? Yeah. Angelo tells him that he can have the diamonds back if he marries his actual daughter and reminds him that the contract will hold up in court somehow. But then he fakes with the tailors. Like he calls them like, and they both like shoot up to stand up, look. Benucci's. And like look straight. Benucci's. Yeah. And Anthony was like, okay, okay. He agrees to meet the daughter. And then Anthony then plays the piano while he's waiting and the tailors dance around him and they like freaks him out and they tell Anthony that they're in a hurry. Excuse me. Could you tell Senor Provolone that we in a hurry? We got to do another guy at 11 o'clock. You do more than one a day? Oh, summertime we do six, eight a day. It's a cutthroat business. And if we get backed up, we got to work weekends. And we know like that. No, we family man. You treat it like it's a normal business. To us, it's an art. Hmm? Show him the beach. What do you think it is? You guys did this? Who else? Ice of Oh, we get plenty of business from this pitch. <laughs> Maybe someday we do you too, huh? And when we get through with you, nobody's gonna recognize you. Che cosa fai? You look a little pale. You okay? I thought this was fucking hilarious. Like, yeah. even as, as grumpy as I was watching this, this perked me up. It got my spirits lifted. It worked. It made it like, okay, whether I like Oscar or not, by the end of this, there was this scene that made me very happy. Like, I thought it all worked. Sheer had some great facial expressions when he's, like, talking about mm. the art of it. I, I have to give Oscar this. This scene was awesome. I laughed, literally laughed out loud when this happened. Like, when they showed, like, you know, he thinks, uh, you know, uh, Anthony thinks they're murderers, and he shows them the newspaper <laughs> clip of the dead guy yes. when they're just talking about how nice their suits are. I, I laughed out loud. That was really clever and really fun. And uh, coincidentally, uh, Sylvester Stallone, nowhere to be seen right. in the funny part of the movie. Yes. The main character of your movie 
can't deliver the comedy. The guy who delivers probably the most jokes, I'm making air quotes, is not in the funniest scene in the movie. Yeah, Harry Shearer and um, the, the other guy, they are by far the funniest thing in the movie. Like, even outside of this scene, they're always, if not good, at least fine. You know, they're at worst they're serviceable, but they're usually r- pretty good in the movie. Right. Sophia and Angelo bring Lisa to meet Anthony. She says Oscar was cuter than him, and Anthony yells that she's she's having the chauffeur's baby. And they both seem very uninterested in one another. They go outside together and share how they'll go through with it to get out, just to get out of the house and away from everything, but are still spiteful of one another. And she says, I don't want to see you until the wedding. And they're like, all right, I'll see you then. And they're like, separate honeymoons. Dr. Poole shows up, played by Tim Curry. I generally enjoy Tim Curry, and this was a bright spot of the film for me, seeing him. So so what, we'll say like an hour into this movie. This is it, this is, is it. See what I said, F- like 50 minutes, then my favorite scene happened yeah. and rewarded me for not falling asleep, not punching a hole in the wall for 50 <laughs> minutes with that scene, and then Tim Curry showed up. So I'll, I was awake, I was like, okay, finally. It's like, we got a movie going. And he's he's this guy, he's this professor he's very, of linguistics, and there's some really clever, funny shit that you don't quite catch all of it the whole time through, but like it's... I, I, I dig Tim Curry's dialogue when they're letting him make the linguistics jokes. They kind of get him away from that a bit at times, mm-hmm. but when he makes them and you're like, ah, it, it'll be like three lines later, like, oh, that was funny. It seems weird to me that on the day that like, hey, I got this major thing going through. We got these bank guys coming over. I got this tailor, co- these tailors coming over. Hey, why not throw something else in the pile and get... Well, get it, a lesson and diction. Like, he wants to speak properly to the bankers, but it's like, you're doing your first lesson today? <laughs> You've had a month, you asshole! God! After a conversation with them, Anthony suggests to Lisa that she marry Dr. Poole, and after some clever talk she's into the idea, Angelo talks with her about it, but he insists she marry Anthony. After she has a meltdown and he agrees... He's maybe Stallone's best line in the movie. If it's poor you want, it's poor you'll get. But Lisa, you got to cross the finish line on this one. He's your third fiance today, and it's not even like shit. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Not Pretty bad. Good. See, the movie's kind of, kind of turns a little corner for a little bit. Yeah. But it's like already we have forty minutes left of a of an hour fifty yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Too little, too late, Oscar. Right. Angelo tells Anthony, after he asks for the contract back, that he has to wait on the bench in case Poole backs out. Then a priest shows up for whatever. Thank God, more characters. And then Poole goes over speech etiquette and enunciations with Angelo so he can sound like a banker. And we get to see Stallone recite a bunch of tongue twisters. Round the rough and rugged rocks, the ragged rascal rudely ran. Round the rough and rugged rocks, the ragged ra- Round the rough and rugged rocks, the ragged. Round the rough and rascal, the ragged. Oh, look, Doc, I just can't do it. I'm never learned to speak good. Do not despair, Mr. Provolone. Let's try a new line of attack, shall we? After me. Rocco the rum runner rubbed out Rico the rat with his Roscoe for robbing his rum running receipts. Can you say that? 
Rocco the Rum Runner rubbed out Rico the Rat with his rascal for robbing his Rum Runner receipts. You did it! Sure, you'll finally come up with something that makes sense. Uh, the maid interrupts here to announce her exit as she sets her bag down and then, like, picks up Angelo's bag that he had with him with that had the diamonds. Angelo then breaks the news to Poole that he's going to marry his daughter, and Poole hesitates about it. Angelo promises to make whatever life dreams he's had come true if he goes through with it, and when he empties the bag of jewels to show it to him, it's just a bunch of undergarments. The maids walked off with the bag and the jewels. The police watching from across the street take note of the maid that she's like, she's got a bag, they're making a drop. And they call for a warrant, and it's like the start of what would be a Solid joke for the police to have. Gets a bit overdone, but... A bit. (laughs) You need a flow chart at this point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely... Just like in the corner of the screen, just to explain all the different shit that's you, you happening. Almost, you almost, you know, to keep everything straight, what they need is like have a little screen inset, like for sports. If, you, if something <laughs> involved with like a ball or something, so you know who has possession, <laughs> like for football <laughs> or soccer or something. No, you know what this movie needs? They, they need like the, the pamphlet that they gave to audience members when they went to see Dune, just to kind of, <sighs> you know, map everything out to give people. A chance. Need like an intermission to be like, all right, let's recap. <laughs> yeah, or you know, you know what they need. The thing that would always happen in like '90s thrillers, where the person they need Dennis Miller's character from The Net, just the guy that comes <laughs> in, explains everything that you've already seen, just to refresh, just just remember everything that's happened, explain what the fuck is going on, and then they just leave. That, that's the character we need. That's Dennis Miller of the 1990s, not Fox News. Is Dennis Miller? It's completely different person for our youngsters listening that may have been like what what kind of reference is that colin at one point dennis miller was a comedian there was a guy that looked exactly like him in the 90s had the same name like even the same sounding voice totally different person and he made people laugh can you believe it People liked him. Sophia brings the priest to Angelo, and he tells her about Dr. Poole marrying Lisa, which she is very unhappy with. This turns into confusion about people and their places. No no big deal. (laughs) The maid returns to give the bag back. Lisa sits with Poole to have tea, and they realize other people tricked them into this marriage thing, but they wind up finding some common ground and apathy in conversation. Anthony returns to confess how he had everything that morning, and now he has nothing. He offers a deal to buy back the jewels for $50,000, and in anger, Angelo calls in Connie, and he takes a chicken leg from him and points it at Anthony like a gun, to which he says... You took my gat. <laughs> yeah, and this is, uh, we were saying like, oh, there's comedy again, great. Like, this is one of those where it's like, okay, good try. Yeah, good try. Keep, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do better. Keep working on it. It was like, something's there with that. There's something there with that. I, I, you know, there's an idea. Anthony explains how he stole Angelo's extortion money. Knowing the bag has no jewels in it, Angelo agrees to the deal. The police see Anthony grab the bag outside, and they're like, another drop, and in broad daylight. Like, Kurtwood Smith's going nuts. He's so excited about this. Anthony and Angelo exchange bags and their contracts. Anthony leaves, and the detective says he's calling the press. Sophia asks Angelo to come to his office. He asks Connie to take the bag to the library, not take his eyes off of it, and he ends up going and gets distracted by watching Poole and Lisa stroll hand in hand outside, and they 
share a kiss. He gets emotional. Well, he presses his face up against the glass, too, like a dog for some reason. Right. I, I don't know why. <laughs> a chauffeur says Mr. Underwood sent him the, to drop off another bag and get the maids. Aldo goes and swaps it with the one in the library. As, <clears throat> this is during him watching the kiss outside. He then sits and watches the bag that's not the right bag. And then Aldo gives the bag to the chauffeur, who is a like Nazi? Or no, he's a German. He wouldn't be a Nazi. That didn't happen yet. Okay, this this scene it has a serious plot issue that I cannot, for the life of me, figure out. <laughs> Just this scene, Rachel. Well, but <laughs> I mean, as far as which bag is where. So, okay. Nora, the maid, has the bag with the underwear. Snaps has the bag okay. with the jewels. Nora accidentally leaves with the bag with the jewels. And Snaps has the underwear. She comes back and says, and she comes to get her suitcase. And Aldo is the one that answers the door. And she tells him that she realized it wasn't hers when she tried to open it. The lock's different or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> they don't seem to have like right. accommodation on them. So I, I don't know. Ignore that, though. So in the meantime, Snaps is calling Underwood, letting Underwood know that Nora has the wrong bag. So Nora and Aldo swap bags so that Nora has her underwear and mm-hmm. the jewels are back at Snap's house. When the chauffeur comes to do the suitcase swap, it's Aldo that answers the door. Aldo's already swapped the bag with Nora. Does he forget that he already <laughs> swapped suitcases with Nora yeah. earlier? Yeah, and you think he'd say something like, another bag? Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> He's totally like, yeah, sure, great, here's, here's your bag. Yeah. Did you call and hit your head at some point? Did we miss? You're the one that swapped the that bag. That might have been entertaining, so no. It was, that didn't happen. This whole this whole bag thing for me, like I was intrigued and entertained by it, and then I kind of lost track at one point of an exchange of, of what was in what, and then I just decided, you know what? I'll just, whenever they open and whatever comes out of the bags, I'm just going to take their word for it. That's what it is. No, no I did the same thing. I, I was keeping track of it, and then it just got to a point like, you know what? You'll tell me. Whatever. <laughs> then I'll know what's in what bag. I just, I don't want to, I can't keep track of all the plots and what's in the bags. It's too much. Angelo grabs Poole from outside to come talk to him in his office and give him the jewels, but he ends up dumping the undergarments because... Of the bag swap again, which, all right. Mmm, that's right, Mr. Provolone. I've never seen so much money. Look, here's money, Um, and here's more money, and, oh, look, here's a lovely new $20 bill. This is Tim Curry saving a scene. This is what yeah, he picking, pulls up like a garter. Picking up the br- like, here's a brand new yeah. twenty dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, that was that was all right. That that worked well uh, enough. Oh, bless Tim Curry. I, I would I think you know it would have been funny like if there would have been a third time where he tries to give him the money and it's the underwear again and you had the right actor playing Angelo for this. That could have been a really funny bit. Yeah, if Angelo was just breaking down and just frustrated the whole time, it would have worked a lot better, but he never is. He's always collected, and it's not funny to see someone that's supposed to be, you know, juggling 
all of these balls or spinning all these plates and just being not perfectly calm, but not freaking out enough. Well, that's part of the problem yeah. with Stallone's performance here is he wants, he's trying to be too likable the entire movie. And he's trying to be like everybody come off as like, hey, it's everybody's friend Angelo. When he should just be the tough hearted mob boss. And we're going to take the character and laugh at it because this straight laced guy mob boss is having these zany things happen to him. And he needs to play it straight rather than just be, hi, I'm Sylvester Stallone and I'm in a movie. Like that's right. part of my big issue no, with this movie is uh, remember in uh, Kindergarten Cop when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, all right, uh, I'm your teacher, and all these kids are running around going crazy, and he screams, you know, shut up, at all the kids. Like, okay, that's kind of a joke, fine. It, it, that that works because it's it's the character reacting appropriately to the situation, like understandably to the situation. And in this, he doesn't do that shit at all. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is Sylvester Stallone could take comedy lessons from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jingle all the way, man. <laughs> so. well, well, that was a dark time for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so Angelo sends Poole out to chew out Connie about how this happened. Poole then goes to Lisa and asks her if they want to get out of this madhouse. She agrees. Angelo and Connie then have a who's on first moment to discuss the history of today's events. Snaps. Are you sure there was cash in that bag? Yeah, little Anthony stole it. If little Anthony stole it, then he's got it. No, you blockhead, he stole it, then he gave it back to me. Why'd he give it back to you? To buy back the jewels. What jewels? The jewels he stole from me. He stole jewels from you too? Yeah, so he could marry my daughter. Lisa. That Lisa Teresa. How come nobody's never met this daughter, Teresa? Because she's not my daughter, capiche? Yeah, your daughter's not your daughter. And the cash that used to be the jewels is now your underwear. Now you got it. I got it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, it almost works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's it's about what. Yep, you. It's like if, that's if a you, correct if assessment. If you're still confused at this point, listen to Connie, who's one of the dumbest characters. Yes. In the movie, <laughs> and he actually understands. He, it's like who's on first. He understands what's going on, even though he doesn't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. spells it yeah. out for you. <laughs> yeah. Angelo tells Aldo to have to have her wait and mentions to give the bag to the chauffeur, admitting he didn't see Connie when he swapped them. Police see another bag show up and get excited because it's proof to them he's not going straight. Anthony returns. Teresa tells Angelo Anthony is the only man she ever loved and can't find him. As he leaves, he spots Anthony in the lobby waiting. He tells Teresa he knows where he is and to stay there and not come out. He confronts Anthony. Anthony gives him his bag and says he can have the jewels all the jewels in the world mean nothing to me now that I have lost Teresa. He tells him Teresa's waiting for him in the library. Anthony tells her it's all his fault and they embrace and Connie watches and he gets misty-eyed and kind of swoons about it. He just likes to watch people hold hands and kiss, I guess. The new maid, Roxanne, arrives at the door. Angelo interviews her. She used to work for Jumpin' Jimmy, which excites Angelo as he used to be a driver for him. She says, that's right, snaps, then recognizes her as his first girlfriend and, uh... Apparently, his first lay. So she then reveals to him that she ran away from him back then to take care of her child, who winds up being Teresa. Through talk, we find out. Roxanne tells him Teresa really is 
his daughter. She says she should have told him, but she was sent to the convent. She never told him after that because her father shamed her and she thought Angelo would be angry about it. Sophia walks in on all of this. Anthony and Teresa walk in after. Sophia wanders off and Roxanne tells her about her father. Lisa and Poole bust in and announce they are getting married. And then Tim Curry tells him, Congratulations, Doc. Will there be a honeymoon following? Watch it there, Connie. You've got a dangling participle. And then he checks his pants because of what he said. That's funny. <laughs> That's good. Would you like to hear my uh, notes on this scene? Uh, I wrote down, Teresa is actually Snap's daughter. <laughs> is it over yet? <laughs> you wrote, er, er. I absolutely did. I can send you a picture of this. <laughs> The bankers finally arrive as the snitch watches from afar. The police, now with press crowding the room, are there for the big moment. Angelo then tells Sophia about Teresa and Roxanne. You had a child with the new, new maid? maid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not bad. It's okay. Okay, joke. Aldo brings champagne to celebrate, but because the bankers have arrived, Angelo tells him to get rid of it because, you know, it's prohibition. The snitch calls Vendetti and that and says it's all happening with Angelo and O'Banion and he gets his boys and takes off and I guess he makes some like meta joke about him making pizza in an hour because this actor was in like a pizza commercial. <sighs> Yay. Yeah. During the negotiations, Angelo is upset that he's not going to get a vote on the board and he's being encouraged to just be a silent partner with the banks. Anthony helps with questionable contract points during this. As the meeting is going, the police bust in to make the arrests. They think they are busting O'Banions. While the detective reads through the wallets of the bankers, realizing they're legit, the maid returns. Toomey, the uh, lieutenant, is trying to figure out what's going on and says that it has something to do with the bags and is laundering money through the bank. He calls for one of them and dumps out the undergarments. Again, the hesitant. They're they're laundering money and Mm -hmm. he dumps underwear. Huh? Huh? If, this, if this movie would have been written by Sylvester Stallone, like I would have felt like he came up with the whole script based on that joke and tried to make uh, something around no, it, but no. He, he didn't, but you know who did write this? The uh, writer of Bad Boys. There we go. <sighs> the hesitant banker then says, that's what we get for going into business with a crook, and Angelo calls them scary vendetti armed with the tommy gun comes around the corner crashing into toomey's car and he goes from embarrassed to eager to bust vendetti from the press uh, angelo makes anthony chief financial officer of his new enterprise which i guess he's gonna stay a criminal because he goes well pop i yeah. tried you tried for three hours <laughs> and also why did he wait a month why did he just go straight as soon as his dad died i don't get it we then get a double wedding And a man in uniform tries to stop the wedding. He's Oscar, but Angelo has his guys get rid of him. The men then kiss the brides, and Chaz Pomentary is misty-eyed during it all. And then we get a roster roll call before the the scrolling credits, and that was Oscar. It certainly was. Uh, I love it. I'm sorry. I just uh, uh, there's there are plot holes so large you could drive an imperial through, but I don't care. (laughs) They do try to tie it up with a bow there at the end. You know that Toomey still gets unarrest, even if it's not Snaps. He gets you know Vanditti and his Mm -hmm. and his gang, and Snaps doesn't keep his 
promise to his father, but he tried. He really tried, I think. <laughs> so, and, mm-hmm. you know, Lisa finally gets married and gets out of the house. So, and apparently the fact that she says she was pregnant just completely gets dropped <laughs> there at the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> that she's not actually pregnant, though. That's the... Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like there it was this whole thing, though, that, you know, that uh, Sophia, you know, snaps his wife. You know, it's like our daughter. She's a disgrace to the church and everything because you know those devout Italian Catholics. And at the end of the day, Lisa's still wearing a white wedding dress, and they're getting married in the house and not in a church. So, like the Catholic faith only goes so far, apparently. Like, hey, here's all these puzzle pieces, and here's the big picture. (laughs) But it's like, you know, the whole pregnancy thing gets dropped. The fact that the maid ends up leaving, I think maybe with both. The money and the jewels, I think both end up going to the Underwoods. <laughs> it's like, oh, that, yeah. all that doesn't matter. Because <laughs> Snaps now mm, has pick- two daughters and no housekeeper, because I'm guessing that Roxy is not going to be the housekeeper <laughs> at this point. So, <laughs> and he's gonna The go- box had an elephant on it. When <laughs> I put the puzzle together, it was a urinal. Yeah, got <laughs> It's, With a bite out of the urinal cake. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a mess, but it's a lovely mess. It, it's I come from a, a performing background. I did a lot of theater, dance, and stuff. So plot aside, one of the things actually I really love about this movie is the costuming. Which, mm. no offense, but you as guys may it may not be something that catches your eye. Um, but if you ever want to go back and rewatch it, or maybe just look at stills, um, the costuming of this movie is really great. Although I don't understand why Sophia goes through three outfits before noon <laughs> and is in like fur and dripping in <laughs> jewels for lunch. Before noon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But the, I, I, I should wear my morning fur. Yeah. But uh, what? Other, <laughs> than, other than that though, the costuming is great. You know, the, the women that not, you know, this early 1930s, the, the fun hats and the different, hemlines and everything are, are great and the men's costume is actually really great too there's really yeah. great color and pattern mixing if you look well, at I mean, the, the goons and everything it uh, does have production i mean it's a big studio film i oh, mean yeah. and it's directed by john landis it has confidence of a production going into it i just yeah i this was this is john john landis follow-up to coming to america believe it or not this is this is he yeah that might explain the, the costume production value then, because he's he, he's got an eye for it. I think coming to yeah. America is a an indicator I mean, for that. So. I mean, yeah, he's. I mean, and I mean, yeah. comedy. He's like coming to America, trading places, the Blues Brothers, Animal House, Kentucky Fried Movie, Oscar, American Werewolf in London, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oscar, Oscar. Yeah. and then and then it's like, Ugh. and he proved Oscar wasn't a fluke because uh, just a few years later he'd do Beverly Hills Cop three. <laughs> <sighs> I, I think I movie, like, I think more than anything, this movie was just a hey, look at all these Hollywood stars that you recognize. <laughs> Watch us parade them across the screen in these really great outfits. There are multiple people in this movie where I just think, did you were you paying off debt? Like, is that why you're in this movie? <laughs> did you are you doing it yeah. as a favor? Yeah. I mean, even someone like Stallone. I mean, this movie was was 1991. The previous year, he did Rocky Five. Yeah, and this is the uh, well. Movie. The next, the next film he'd do would be Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah, like he didn't and learn. Cliffhanger and Demolition Man saved him. Like, you know, Those saved him. That. Yeah, 
If you look at his run up to this, I mean, Rambo 3, uh, Tango and Cash didn't... I mean, Cullen and I both enjoyed Tango and Cash, but that was not a well-received film back then. You have Rocky Five and Oscars just like, oh, he was trending down, but then Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, Specialists were solid for him, and... But yeah, that was a. This is in the middle of a brutal run for him during like his biggest era. Although I, I will say that I do like that we all came together as a country when "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot" came out, and we said to Sylvester Stallone, "No, <laughs> you stop. Yes, no more comedies. You don't know what you're doing. Knock it off. Quit reinforcing yeah. this bad behavior." <laughs> Here's the thing. Why introduce a character 15 minutes before the movie ends? Why do you do that? Like, I what? understand that, like, it's it's to to legitimate or to you know know that like, oh, Teresa is actually her or his daughter. But then it was just like, all right, there's not enough shit in this movie. How about another character? Like, god damn it, that's enough. That didn't bother me at all. She's a conduit. To... Uh, no, it is. It it bothers me when a new character is introduced to so close to the end of the movie. I mean, the, the Bride of Frankenstein shows up four minutes till the movie's over. I mean, it's not a. It's a I don't think it was so bothersome. I mean, that was a, to piece things piece things together. I mean, she's not important, but she delivers information. And I mean, who else was gonna give us that? Well, I guess I'm an asshole, Brandon. Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah, sometimes people come in late. I mean, what about Oscar? He showed up like a minute till the end. Yeah. And he and he was promptly thrown out of the movie. <laughs> Thank <laughs> goodness. Stallone, Stallone did one thing right. <laughs> yes. And I'm not talking about the fourth wall break that he does. Oh, I don't even remember what happened. I just remember him looking right into the camera, and I just thought, fuck you, movie. You haven't earned this. Let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Stop! Who are you? I'm Oscar. Get rid of him. Expeditiously. You got it. Now we come to the portion of the episode where we rate the movie we just watched as we are cult cinema cavalcade. We keep things nice and culty. Our options are stay with your family, which would probably be the rating of stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> Converted, which means uh, you, you're down with Oscar. You're, you'd be willing to sign that contract with him to take care of his grandchild and hand over some diamonds. And drinking the Kool-Aid, which means... You are like to me all into it. Now you don't care what's a mess or if you're reading things properly, you are all up in Oscar. So that's kind of gross. But Rachel, <laughs> how do you rate Oscar? Well, I mean, if my, if my reactions up to this point weren't uh, indicator enough, I, I love this movie. It is, it's one of those, that, to me, it's just so bad. It's good. And I just love the stream of somewhat familiar faces. This is definitely one of those movies where you, you watch it and go, hey, you're that person I've seen in that thing, but you don't know their name. You just know you've seen them in like 12 things, other things. This movie is just, it's so full of gangster and Italian stereotypes. It's wonderful. I kind of feel like I need to have like a full Italian dinner spread while watching this movie. You know, gorging on, on pasta and meatballs while, uh, while Snap's uh, day unravels. Have a meatball. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, 
because of the Italian, I'm not going to say drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going to say drinking the, drinking the sangria <laughs> instead. <laughs> so. There you go. Cullen. This movie, um, I'm just going to say it. It was a chore. It was a chore to watch. For me, the first joke of the of this movie that's supposed to be a comedy didn't arrive until 25 minutes into the movie when Marissa Tomei said, I'm a woman now, and then she opened up a robe. She's wearing, like, a nightgown or whatever. It's like, okay, that's that's kind of a, that's a funny joke. Uh, like, and, like, literally, 25 minutes into the movie, that's the first thing. Uh, for, for this to be considered a comedy, there needed to be more than... 10 jokes that worked in the movie. There's just so many attempts at comedy that just falls flat. And there are few things worse for a movie than for it to be a comedy that isn't funny, as we've learned with Wacko, which I honestly, I would rather watch Wacko again than this. I'd rather watch gross Joe Don Baker gross around on a screen than Sylvester Stallone try to do comedy. You know, Joe John Baker heard you say that. He'd go, ha, 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 me too. <laughs> he put down his beer because he wouldn't want to spill it. So I'm going to say that I stay with my family when it comes to Oscar. Brandon, how do you rate Oscar? Yeah, you said, like, uh, your, I guess your first joke that really landed for you was, like, a lot earlier than mine, but I I was, just, for the love of the show, going through this movie till about 50 minutes in, and then once the... the the Taylor Sicilian hitman bit happened. I, I liked it. I was I was okay finishing it out. It didn't quite work as well, but it was a bit more back and forth for me rather than the first 50 minutes of the movie being just like digging a, almost hitting instead of clay hell um, with my shovel. The thing is, there's, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, there's something like good there's like uh, I don't uh, there's something like I think maybe I I think I kind of like the script for this, but none of what could work off of it gets done well at all here. Uh, they got like the wrong. You know who'd be a good leading man as Angelo? That's actually in this movie. Chaz Palminteri could have pulled off that role a lot better than Stallone, and he's doofus in the background in this movie. But like I kept watching this movie, and be like I could see Chaz making this part work most of this i i blame like stallone just doesn't work because of him like because he's too cool for the room yeah i yeah that's that's part of the problem um but yeah it's it's torturous to watch there's there's something i find like there's something that could have worked here something that could have worked and it just fails almost at every turn i did enjoy some things with it but yeah i'm staying with my family obviously but i will say like I could see where somebody's intrigued by this, this idea why it stuck around for so many years, how it could have worked, like the screwball stuff could have been done better, could have had better people. Just doesn't happen. Doesn't work. You shouldn't depend on John Landis to save your comedy. He's the director. He's not the one delivering the jokes. <laughs> yeah, if I got a reaction out of you guys like this on the uh, on the first go, I, I, I consider myself this is a check in my win call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, although I, I I'm I still waiting for my chilled M and M's and my Twizzlers. So now thankfully you don't we'll need make to give you me watch something yeah, worse. Thankfully you don't need to get you don't need to give me a bag of uh, diamonds or underwear. So <laughs> surely those bags had to have weighed differently. Seriously, fifty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah! worth of precious jewels. Surely 
feels heavier than a bag full of stockings and garters. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, what kind of underwear is she wearing yeah, really? that it feels the same weight as a bag of jewels? Really? And the $50,000 cash. I mean, that's kind of hefty, too. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Some industrial strength yeah. underwear that she has to he wear. It wasn't even that much underwear. When he goes and he dumps the bag more than once. And there's yeah. probably a, enough there for maybe a week. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, don't ask questions. Don't, don't ask know, questions. Maybe. Just watch and drink your drink your Prosecco, I guess. What makes people all over America break down and cry like this? Call 1-900-9099-CRY and hear it for yourself. $2 for the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. If you're under 18, ask your parents before you call. 1-900-9099-CRY. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we're getting into October, so it's time for some horror, and we're going to kick it off with 1988's Hack-O-Lantern. Joining us for discussion on Hack-O-Lantern is Audrey Lane from Horror Hound and the Horrify podcast. So I want to thank everyone for listening in, and thanks to Rachel for coming on. Rachel, tell us where we can find all your five-ish fangirl fun. Oh, well, the easiest is our website, which is thefiveishfangirls.com. From there, you can find links to all our social media and where you can subscribe to us. We're on pretty much every podcast platform out there, so we're pretty pretty easy to find, and we're pretty active on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and all of those. So head there and click away. Follow us on all the things. Thanks, Rachel. We look forward to next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer to Hack-O-Lantern, the trailer that actually trails. Halloween is a night of tricks and treats. I, I thought I'd come over this year and help you pass out candy, Grandpa. But sometimes the most frightening costume... Ah, yes. Candy is a decent offering for a night like this. Is what's underneath. Oh, but we can offer the Dark Lord so much better. Hackolatum. What's my name? David S. Pumpkins. Any questions? Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon Peters. Narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade.
Hi folks, Brandon here. Now, we've all had a lot of fun tonight, but on a more serious note, I, w- I want to talk to you about something important. Fake trailers. Like the one for Hackalander News in this episode. There wasn't one for Hackalander, as far as I could see. There looked like a m- one with just music, but I can't use that. That's boring for you. So, I did what any immature podcast host might do for a cheap laugh. I created my own. Now, some of you probably rolled your eyes. Some of you may have laughed. And uh, maybe five of you even thought it was genuine. But I'm just here to apologize for my actions. And yes, David S. Pumpkins, that was a cheap gag. A cheap and easy gag. And I'm sorry. Also, I kind of sound like Bane that one time his grandpa. That was interesting. But we'll see you next time, folks. And uh, have a good rest of your day or evening or morning, whenever you decide to listen.